Well, this morning I'd like to uh, talk to you a little bit of, uh, about uh, something called the fundamental attribution error. What the heck is that? <laughs> uh, I had never actually heard of it before, so uh, I'm learning with you. Uh, the fundamental attribution error. I think actually all of us have experienced it in different ways. Uh, all of us have probably committed this error in different ways. Uh, we've, yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let me give you an example. Uh, we're in a shopping uh, mall or maybe in the, in the grocery store and we see a fella and he's with his five-year-old daughter and he's raising his voice and he's got this stern look on his face and he's wagging his finger and we think, that guy has an anger management problem. He needs to get some help. Now, just turn that around, and, and, and maybe if you haven't had children, just, just go with me on this. You're in the same grocery store, and you're having, and you're shopping with your five-year-old daughter, and, uh, and you've got a stern look on your face, and you're wagging your finger, and you know it's because she's being terrible, and you've had a really bad day. And there's a sense where oftentimes we can, when we see others acting in a certain way, we attribute to them negative things. You say, that, that guy's got issues. Like, there's something wrong with him. But when I'm doing the same thing, then it's not, I don't have issues. It's, it's my circumstances that are causing me to act this way. Does that make sense? And so sometimes we, you know, sometimes maybe we do this at home. You know, we get home after a really hard day. And we're hoping that we're going to get a little bit of, maybe a little bit of loving affirmation when we walk through the door. And maybe a little bit of food. And, uh, but when we walk into the house and uh, all we get is the cold shoulder, and, and, uh, and somebody says, it's your turn to cook. doesn't happen at my house. I'm just saying this is, a, you know, this is a possibility that that might happen. And uh, so, <laughs> you know, but, but when I come in the house and I get the cold shoulder and it's your turn to cook, I think, man, lazy. You know, don't, don't, don't they know what, you know, I've been through today? But, but when I'm lying on the couch and, and somebody else comes home, and uh, and the only thing that she can get out of me is is maybe a grunt, uh, you know. It's because I've had a really bad day, and I and I, you know I'm super tired. I'm just watching TV. I can't deal with it. So there's a sense of that you know we make this attribution. We we automatically assume that you know when they don't meet our expectations, they got issues. But when I don't meet your expectations, it's because I, I you know it's just things are really rough for me. And and I share that because. You know, there's, there is this gap between our experience and um, the fulfillment, our expectations, sorry, and our experience, our desires and our fulfillment. And that happens for all of us. I think that video that we saw this morning, there's this, this picture of, you know, once there's darkness, but then there's light. Once there was emptiness and formlessness at creation, and then there was life. There was order. But in between there, there's this gap. And so we have this, this, these expectations and things that, that aren't always fulfilled when we would like them to be. And we, we attribute those things uh, to the person. And I wonder, the reason I want to talk about this is I wonder if sometimes we do that with God. Well, God, you know, like I've, uh, I've expected you to show up on this health issue, but I'm still sick. For the, I've, I've got this financial issue, and you know, and, and this, the noose is tightening around my neck as I speak, God. Where are you? And we have these things in life. You know, I expected you 
to fix this relationship, Jesus. And, and, it's, and I thought today was going to be the day, and then boom, it happened again. Where are you? And we begin to attribute things to God that aren't actually his. We, we begin to say, well, I guess you just don't care. Uh, we begin to, to doubt, and, and, and God's not afraid of doubt. You know, one of his best friends, Thomas, when he heard that Jesus was alive, he says, yeah, I'll see it. You know, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, when I can put my fingers in his hand and my hand in his, the, the, then I'll believe it. And God says, okay, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll meet that doubt. It's, it's not an issue for me, Thomas. Sometimes we meet it with, with anger or that sense of abandonment. You know, David in the Psalms, in Psalm 22, says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus himself on the crosses, we'll talk about later, says exactly the same thing. There's that sense of a, oh, what is going on here? And then for Jesus, he's entering the gap between what he knows to be true about God and his experience of it. And I think the, the important thing for us as we um, experience those times in our own relationships is to actually to insert uh, good things in that gap. You know, what we do with the gap, David uh, Shabble gave, um, it was just something of a different context in Parksville, but he was talking about, you know, mind the gap. There's this gap between, and he, and he shared about when the disciples saw Jesus uh, crucified and then risen. And what do you do in that gap? And the, the key thing, I think, in our relationships is what we insert there is if we can insert grace, if we can insert truth and, and love, but ultimately if we can insert trust. Because, uh, now I was telling all those stories and it really doesn't happen in my home, but if it did, you know that I, I actually, I know Megan. And 80 to 90% of the time, she's cooking that dinner and she's rubbing my feet, and she's really, you know, she's treating me well. She is. <laughs> there you go. She gets an A. You know, but those, that 10, 15% of the time when she doesn't do it, you know, why would I attribute all those negative things to her? It's obvious that she's had a tough day. And... And I think, you know, I have to trust because I know her, I can trust her. And I think that's where I want to begin this morning. You know, like, what do we do with the, the gaps with God? And I want to encourage us today to, to seek to insert trust into that gap. But we can't trust somebody that we don't know. And, you know, as many of you know, I've had this opportunity to, to go to Pender Harbor. I, or I did this last year and I finished that up at the end of May. But um, one of the things that I had to do for that was to fly regularly from Nanaimo over to Seashells. And I think I might have shared a little bit of, of some of this with you. But, um, you know, in doing that, it was a real risk-taking thing for me. I had never flown in one of those flow planes before. And so every time that it hit a wave as we were taking off, or I remember the, I remember the very first time when I was flying. It was a beautiful sunny day. And it was, uh, it was great, but we, you know, we took off, and then we just had this little bit of wind. And, so, and it wasn't very much, because I experienced way worse later on, which wasn't a problem. But at that very first time, when you just taken off, and you, we're going to crash. You know, it's, like, immediately, my heart is in my chest, and I'm so fearful. 
And, uh, and every little thing, you know, when he turns, are we going to make the turn, you know, or are we going to land? Every little part of that trip is, is scary for me because I've never done it before and I don't know this guy. And I remember one of the younger pilots, when he was first flying, um, or when, sorry, when I was first flying with him, he's actually full many hours. But he, it was, he was an interesting guy because he would do this and then he'd be looking over, he's looking, you know, checking out the boats, seeing what's going on over towards Vancouver. I'm thinking, you know, like for us, we said, keep your eyes on the road. I got like, keep your eyes in front of you, right? And I'm thinking, and this guy's a real young guy. I don't know him and all that kind of stuff. So, but, but what happened over the time is that I had to take that plane again and again. Every other week I was flying there, flying back, flying there, flying back. And, and so what was cool is that, you know, I started in the very back seat and then I worked myself up to the middle seat. And then later on when there was, in the fall, when there was not too many travelers, I started sitting in the front and then I was able to put on the headset. And so I got to actually converse with these guys. And so then they began to know me by name. And there was one time where I was really late getting out of Port Alberni and they recognized my name on the list and they actually held the plane for me. There was, there was a relationship there. And, and what was cool is that, you know, at the end of my time, it didn't matter what the weather was like. I, I totally enjoyed the flight. And I actually, I got to actually have a conversation, so many conversations with these guys. You know, one guy's, you know, painting the baby room. Well, it's not the baby room yet. You know, but he's painting it baby blue and his parents are coming over and they're going to assume that they're having a baby. But it's not, you know, I got to know him. And I know the other guy that owns properties down in the States and he's he and his wife have a farm up in Courtney. And, and we, we just got to know each other. But because of that, I could trust and I could even ask questions. You know, so I said, so when you're coming into the Pender Harbor, like because you can see there's flat and then there's waves and what's going on there with the wind. And you just begin to know. And I think it's the same thing with God. That in order to be able to trust him, we, we first have to acknowledge that, that we have to get to know him. And that takes time, just as it took me time to, to gain comfort in this idea of flying. And trust eventually becomes, um, just comes naturally out of that relationship. And Jesus once said, he says, you know, I know the Father, and the Father knows me. And so then it was easy over time for Jesus then to be able to... Um, to do what the Father said. He says, I only do what the Father is doing. I only, I only say what the Father is saying. He's able to do that because he knows his Father intimately. In fact, he says, he says this. He says, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, Jesus says. He says this, because on that day, and Jesus is talking about the day when he returns, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. There's a sense for Jesus that out of the intimacy of his relationship, he, there's fullness of trust. And, uh, and it, it allows you, or allows you know, him to be fully dependent on God. And, and this, I just want to read out of the book of Acts. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is speaking to a group of people that have never heard of God before. And he says this, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as, as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. In fact, in him we live and move and have our being. And Paul has begun to know, he's, he's saying, get to know this one who's provided everything for you. I know you don't know him yet, but I want you to get to know him. And he, and he wants that because he wants people to, to recognize their, 
their need, their dependence on him. And I, I think what's, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, when I was in that plane, there's a lot of times where, you know, I don't know if you do this when you're flying, but you, you grab for something as if you can control what's going to happen, you know. Uh, I mean, I wasn't grabbing his, you know, controls of the plane, but, but you try to grab it. And, but then you begin to realize that, you know, I've actually, even though I didn't know this guy, and even though I didn't trust him, I've actually been dependent on him every single time that I've flown. And we begin to have this recognition for ourselves that as we get to know God, it's like, wow, you have provided everything. I'm solely actually dependent on you. So we begin to get to, to know him and then we're able to trust. And I think the second thing is, is that you know, we get to trust the process that God has us in. John's really good about helping us through this. He talks so much about, you know, we might not see it now, but we will see it in the future. He helps us, John regularly quotes this, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him while he is near. He says, why? Because my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And John really helps us to recognize that, that God is in the natural, but he's always operating at a supernatural level that he is always over and above. And I think one of the things that when I was flying out of Nanaimo, um, what ha- would happen is that you'd, you know, you'd come into Nanaimo and, and you see the ferries. And I don't know, you know, when we travel on the ferries, the ferries themselves are actually quite huge. When you're sitting there, to talk, it looks humongous. And you can walk all over and stuff like that. But then as soon as you take off, you know, we take off and we're a couple hundred feet in the air, it looks quite a bit smaller. And then when actually, they usually travel between 800 and 1,000 feet. That's kind of their ceiling for these flow planes. And when you're at 1,000 feet up, that, little, that gigantic ferry that looks so huge looks like a little toy for the bathtub. Now what if, you know, and then when we're flying in that plane and, and we see the cross in the sky, no, we, or see the airplane, when we see the airplanes that are 10,000 feet, 20,000 feet up in the air, I wonder what that ferry looks like. It's absolutely, I mean, it's, it's, it's minuscule. And I think when God says, my ways are not your ways, and he says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts, they're, they're higher than yours. Uh, part of that is that God has this incredible perspective of everything that we're going through. And, I, and he says, I know when you're right next to it, it looks humongous. How are you supposed to move that thing? How are you supposed to? But when you see it from my perspective, he says, I promise you that it's not that big. It's easily movable. And so he encourages us to trust the process. And I got a, we have a little bit of a throwback video here. Um, I really like the new Karate Kid, but many of you that are in this room will, will remember the old Karate Kid. And I think it's just a really good illustration of trusting the process. And so uh, Danielson, he has uh, been painting his teacher's fence, he's been waxing his teacher's car, he's been sanding his teacher's floor, and he's really frustrated with it because he's been doing this forever, and this has nothing to do with what he thought he was going to learn, which was martial arts. So let's just watch the video, and I think we'll Your see. karate training. I'm what? I'm being your slave is what I'm being, man. Now, we made a deal here. So? So? So you're supposed to teach, and I'm supposed to learn, remember? For four days, I've been busting my... Everyone want to think. Uh, you learned plenty. I learned plenty. I learned how to sand your decks, maybe. I wash your car, paint your house, paint your fence. I learned plenty, right? Uh, not everything is as simple. Oh, I'm going home, man. 
Danielson. Danielson. What? Come here. Show me Sander Floor. I can't move my arm, all right? What are you doing? What are you... Ow! Ow, what are you doing? Now show me Sander Floor. How did you do that? Shut up! Sander Floor. Stand up. Show me Sander Floor. Sander Floor. Sander Floor. Big soccer. Sander Floor. Sander Floor. Now show me wax on, wax off. Hey. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Hey, wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Concentrate. Look in my eye. Lock a hand. Thumb inside. Wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Wax on. Wax off. Show me painter fence. Up, down. Up, down. Up, down. Other side. Look, I always look, I. Show me paint the house. Side, side. Lock wrist. Side, side. Side, side. Show me wax on, wax off. Show me painter fence. Hats! 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 Show me side to side. Hats! 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 Show me sandal floor. Hats! 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 Can't think of a better illustration of trust the process. You know? And you know, of course, Daniel, he's thinking, man, this sucks. I'm doing all this stuff, and it's it's just you just got me, you hooked me in on your slave labor, and he totally misunderstood the process that he was being led through until that moment when it all becomes comes through. And I think you know, so often I think we want we want revelation in order to trust, and I think what God often asks us to do is He says, trust. And you will receive revelation. So trust the process. And I think the other thing is, is I think to, to be able to lean into God more in those times when, we're going, when things don't make sense, when things are difficult, rather than walking away. Um, 
In the book of Proverbs, it says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Another version says he will, he will lead you. And uh, uh, Ryan, I'm going to ask you to come up if you don't mind. And, and John, I'm going to ask you to come up if you don't mind. Um, when I was uh, in youth ministry, we would play this, uh, this game. And uh, so I'm just going to... So we played this game. And, uh, and so you basically you have to stay on your line, right? And hands up. And you have to try to push the other person over. So, and you can try, you can try to get me if you like. One nothing. (laughs) Two nothing. There you go. (laughs) All right, good job. Thanks, bro. Yeah, yeah, you're done. Yeah, you're good. Thank you. Sorry. Now, I think when when we think about leaning on your own understanding, when you think about our, you know, what's our circumstances and all that kind of stuff, it's it becomes this moving thing, you know, because we actually don't have all understanding. We never will. It's not solid. I mean, that's the thing that makes us fall over, right? It's like we push and there's nothing there. And when God says, you know, lean not on your own understanding, I think that's what he means. But it says, you know, that God, the Father, is he's unchangeable. It says the, every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes from the Father of heavenly lights who doesn't shift like changing shadows. He's consistent. And I think, John, if you could put up your hands. So if you see John as God, that as we lean into him, we don't fall because he's consistent. He's always pushing in exactly the same way. His love, his faithfulness, his goodness. Doesn't matter how hard I come, it's always the same. Thank you. We hope, yeah. But there's that sense of, you know. So. I think trusting the process, getting to know God, leaning on His understanding as opposed to ours, and and I think if we do all of these things, you know, even when it seems to be the death of us, because that's what is tough, is it not? And I don't, I'm, I do mean physical death, but I also mean, you know, there's times where our pride just has to die. And it's very, very hard. Uh, not only our our pride, but but maybe it's our will that has to is being killed, and ultimately our life. And and I think of this psalm that I read earlier to you, Psalm twenty two. It's actually a, a prophetic psalm. It's it's one that the the early church and the Bible writers actually recognized was referring not only to David and his struggles, but to Jesus. And it says this, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry out by day, 
but you do not answer, and by night, and you are not silent, and yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You know, in you our fathers put their trust, and they trusted, and you did deliver them. They cried to you and were saved, and in you they trusted and were not disappointed, but but I'm just like a worm. I'm not like a man. I'm scorned by men and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And I think each of us is at various times in our lives have, has, have experienced that sense of, of abandonment. And even though we know that he's faithful, we still wrestle through these things and people are coming at us and they're mocking us and our pride is dying. The vision that we had is is slowly being eroded away. And it's interesting because, you know, in in Matthew's gospel, it talks about this. It says, this Psalm 22 begins to be lived out in Jesus' life. It says this, in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders came up to Jesus while he was hanging on the cross and they said, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross. And then we'll believe him. He trusts in God. We'll let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him mocked him. And then it goes on to say, and it says this, it says, From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, Darkness came over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus gets to this place of, of brokenness, of his blood being shed. And he, he's been through everything that we've done, everything that we've experienced. His any kind of pride has been stripped away. He's probably hanging there naked. Uh, the, the vision of salvation is, you know, in terms of his relationship with God, well, if God's his father, then save him. That's being mocked and stripped away. And he feels abandoned. But what's beautiful is that in the story of Jesus at the cross is that that is not his last word. Father, into your hands now. I commit my spirit. I don't know of any other words of greater trust than that. When you are on the cross, when everything that you, I mean, Jesus didn't have a lot in this world other than some really good friends and a great relationship with God. He had some, some fame and stuff, but at this point in his life, he has nothing. And the very little that he had has been stripped away. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I, and I share this because Death is never the last word with God. It is never the last word. Resurrection is always the last word. But Jesus realized that there's this point where he's dying and his rising is a gap. And he said, I will die and three days later I will be raised up. He he prophesied it. He foretold it. But there's this this gap, and into that gap, just as he dies, what does he place? He places trust. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so this morning as we, as we come to communion, we recognize his, his body broken for us, his, 
His blood spilled for us. Let's let's take that as as Jesus promised that just as He was broken and His life was poured out, that whatever our circumstances, whatever the things that we are facing, the places where it's very very difficult to trust, that Jesus says, "Do this in remembrance of Me," because death did not have the last word. And just as He was this, you know, the firstborn from the dead, He says. He's the firstborn, but we are one of many family members who also will rise. Let's just uh, let's pray together. And if you'd like to stand, I invite you to to stand. But just as a as a symbol of Father, I, I desire to put my trust in you. And I don't even, if you don't even know Him well enough today, maybe this is your prayer that um, Father, I want to know you in such a way that I can actually put my trust in you. Jesus, I thank you that that you are faithful and that you are good. That you are a good shepherd. That you have revealed to us that you are a good father. That your Holy Spirit gives good gifts. And Father, I pray that if there are some here today that just that don't know you, so how can they trust you, Father? I just pray um, a revelation of who you are to them today. Father, in a, in a supernatural way and that you would break through and uh, reveal yourself to them. And Father, even for those of us that have known you and uh, we've come to a, a, a new thing, Father, and it's shaken us. Or even as we encounter those things in the future, Father, maybe we're not there yet and we're going to encounter them. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to know you in a greater way. That we would trust the process. And Father, in, and in the midst of that process, when it's moving from darkness to light, where we're in this time of, of the three days of the grave as Jesus was laid there for three days, Father, that we would place in that gap trust. And I thank you that the beauty of it is, is that we, we can come to the God of the universe, the one who, even though we might not recognize it, we're always dependent on, and that you will always prove yourself dependable. And so I bless you for that this morning, Father. And as we, as we break bread together, would you minister that to us? For we pray it in your Son's name. Amen.